If you would turn with me again to Judges chapter 2. I want to read the first five verses, Judges chapter 2. Judges 2 verse 1, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear, which I promised, unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides. And their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. From our study in Joshua and from our first couple of studies in the first chapter of Judges, Israel, rather than believe God for victory over their enemies, they chose to keep them alive and to keep them near to them. We saw that in the last study. Why? Well, as we saw, for the gain of the world, to acquire wealth and riches, they made them tributaries. Uh, they endeavored to serve two masters, both God and mammon. Friends, you can't do it. You can't serve God in this world. There are many ways to serve two masters, and many do so without even knowing it. And I was surprised to find that Webster actually defined the that term uh, to serve two masters by... In this way, it says to give equal support to two different causes. But to do so is actually impossible. The Lord Jesus said so Himself. Our Lord said no man can serve two masters. We don't have the ability to serve two masters. No man can. No man has the ability. And this is why when all is said and done, the Lord said He'll hold to one uh, and and uh, forget the other. Leave the other. Despise one and uh, let the other go. Uh, cling to one and let the other go. You cannot love two things the most. That's what I'm trying to say. We saw that in Jacob and Leah and Rachel. Laban had two daughters, the name of the elder Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. And it says that Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. You remember the story. Jacob served seven years thinking it was for the 
a hand in marriage with Rachel, and then Laban deceitfully gave him Leah. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I'll serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than that she should be with another man. So abide with me. Go ahead and work seven more years. And Jacob did that. He served seven more years for Rachel. And the Scripture says they seemed as just a, a few days to him because he loved her so much. So again, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot love two things the most. Especially when they oppose one another and you can't hold on to two opposing things without yourselves being torn apart. That word mammon in the original Greek language means wealth and riches. And Paul told Timothy, he said, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. We see folks that are well off in this world and they're the most miserable people in all creation. No matter how much you got, it's never enough. And he said, it's, it's a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not. We've got to have money to, to live. But it's the love of money, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And again, we know from the Scriptures that all Scriptures for the benefit of God's people. May God enable us to learn from the mistakes of Israel who picture and typify God's people today. These things, as we've said many times in our studies of the Old Testament, were written aforetime for our learning. Oh, that God might allow us to learn some things. Sometimes I wonder if I've learned anything at all. What, the way that I act and carry on myself, you know, in my own mind, the things that I think and the things that upset me, just light affliction, and yet they they upset us so. And this is why we're always ready to preach the Word of God instant in season and out. Paul said for reproof, conviction. I, I love preaching that convicts me. He said for rebuke, for correction. I love preaching that that corrects me and teaches me. And then also for exhortation, encouragement, and comfort. And I definitely love that kind of preaching. I need to be encouraged and comforted. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now again, verse 1, and an angel, a messenger of the Lord, came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and I have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I'll never break my covenant with you. 
Now here Israel is confronted by a messenger of God and his words are not only reminders, but uh, warnings. The Word of God is full of warnings. And this messenger is said to be the angel of God, God's messenger. And he, it says that he came up from Gilgal. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, if you remember, Gilgal was the place where the Lord renewed His covenant with Israel. And it's where the people that were born in the wilderness, the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, it's the place where they were circumcised, the males were circumcised and consecrated to the Lord. And the name Gilgal means a wheel. A wheel rolling. I was thinking about that. The Lord rolled away the reproach of Egypt upon Israel. God raised up Egypt and Pharaoh for that very purpose, that He might show His power in them and His deliverance of Israel and that His name might be declared throughout all the earth. The important thing to, to see there is that God Himself was their deliverer. And to me, this can be none other than the messenger of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's the only one that can bring up out of Egypt. He's the only one that can bring in to the land of promise. He's the only one that can covenant with His people. And He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. And that's why that we, the sons of Jacob, that we are, are not consumed. The Gibeonites, well, actually Rahab saw this in Joshua chapter 2, and the Gibeonites saw it in Joshua chapter 9, and they saw and their hearts didn't melt with fear. You remember that? That's what they both said. We've heard about you, your God. And our hearts didn't melt when we heard that you had come into our land. The nation of Israel was God's people. And the church of God today, the true church, is God's people. And the Lord was on their side. And friends, the Lord is on our side. The messenger of the Lord came down or came from Gilgal to Bochum. Now the word Bochum means weeping. Um, and sadly, because of unbelief, Israel rolled their former bondage from Egypt right on with them like a wheel all the way from Gilgal where the God's blessing was upon them to Bochum where they called weeping, a place of weeping. This is the road that so many travel. The road from Gilgal to Bochum. From blessings to weeping. I'd call your attention to three things here in particular found in verse 1. These three things concern the Lord God of Israel and they belong to God alone. First, deliverance. The Lord said, I made you to go up out of Egypt. It's the Lord. It wasn't, Moses wasn't the deliverer. Moses was the instrument that God used to deliver Egypt. God was the deliverer. Oh, don't ever get your eyes on a preacher. Or put more trust in a preacher. Just a man. He'll let you down. Keep your eyes on the Lord who delivers. 
Second thing, salvation. The Lord said, I have brought you into the land which I swear, the land which I promised. The Lord's promised a place for His people. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and where I am you shall be also. It's the Lord. Salvation's of the Lord, isn't it? And then the third thing here is faithfulness. The Lord, God, is faithful. The Lord said, I will never break my covenant. And He never will. This is the language of God. This is the language of glory. He said, I made, I have, I will, I swear. What positive words of assurance that only the Lord Himself can speak. Now we, we say things like I will and we have good intentions. I've heard that good intentions pave the road to hell. But when my Lord says I made and I have and I will, you can count on it. Positive words of assurance that only the Lord can speak. God delivers His people from their bondage of sin. It was God who said, let my people go. It was God that made Israel to go up out of Egypt. It was God that sent the plagues. It was God who divided the Red Sea. It was God who stopped the powerful flow of the Jordan River when its banks overflowed in the season of flooding. It was God that gave Israel the land of promise. It was God that defeated all their enemies. God did it all. Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He tells us who delivered Israel. And He tells us in this book, everywhere in it, who delivered us out of bondage. He did. The second thing, salvation of the Lord, it was God who brought Israel in the promised land. In the believer's salvation, it was Christ who died. The just for the unjust to what? Bring us to God. The only hope that you and I have of ever being in the presence of the God that loved us and gave Himself for us is that Christ died for us. He being the just one, us being the unjust, that He might reconcile us to God and bring us before His presence justly. He's a just God and a Savior. Exodus 13.5 And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which He sware unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey. If He promised to give it, you can write it down. You're going to get it. Exodus 13.11 And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land. It's the Lord that bring them, brought them into the land as He swear unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee. <laughs> no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Exodus 23.31 And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. And thou shalt drive them out before thee. Joshua couldn't take credit for this. 
The men of war couldn't take credit for this. It was the Lord that did it. We can't take credit for our deliverance. We can't take credit for our salvation. It's God Almighty that saves us and delivers us. He gets all the honor and glory. Leviticus 14.34 When ye be come into the land of Canaan, which I give to you for possession. All that we have in this life, God gave us, and all that we'll have in the next life is God that gave it. What do we have to brag about? What do we have to boast in? Numbers 15.8 Speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, when you come into the land whither I bring you. Our deliverance is the same. It's God that has brought us. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also has suffered once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. How? Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's how we live eternally. We're put to death in this flesh. We've got to put this flesh to death. And we have to be quickened by the Spirit of God. Oh, if you're here tonight and you love Christ and you trust in Christ alone, it's God that did that. It's God that put that life in your heart. The Lord Jesus said, Another sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. <laughs> them must I bring also. John ten sixteen. Salvation's by God's grace. Let's never let that be just a cliche or something we'd stick on a bumper sticker or whatever. Salvation is by God's grace. And that grace is a, a gift to us. God didn't have to give it. Well, if you have to give someone a gift, it ceases to be a gift, doesn't it? Why do dead sinners try to take credit for what God has done? I, I don't understand that. Then the third thing is God is faithful to promise. God says, I'll, I'll never break my covenant with you. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant mercy with them that love Him. Paul wrote, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's nothing that we face in this life that we're not able to bear with Christ as our Lord and as our Savior and as our Provider. And our sustainer. Sarah uh, was given a child when she was past age, the scripture said, because she judged him, God, faithful. <laughs> faithful that promised, Hebrews 10 23. He's faithful that promised. Everything that he's promised, he's faithful to fulfill. I think the problem is, well, I know the problem is, I don't think, but I know the problem is we don't think He is. Not like we should. 
Now in the next verse, we, we see three things here concerning natural men and women. This is talking about every one of us. By nature, this is, with, this is in all of us. Verse 2, And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you've not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? By nature, every man and woman, born of woman, loves the world and the things in it. That's the first thing. That's exactly what Israel did. They made leagues, they made covenants with their enemies. Instead of destroying them as God told them to, as God commanded, they made them tributaries as we saw in the last study. And they, uh, instead of killing them, they taxed them. <laughs> They, they did this for their own financial gain. They loved mammon more than God. Worldly riches had become their master. You know, when I've paid my taxes in the past, I've said more than once, these taxes are killing me. But uh, I would certainly rather pay taxes than to be killed. And I before said in a way of jesting that I'd rather take a beating than to pay my taxes. That's not true. <laughs> I've learned to be thankful I can pay them, but yet I still complain. In Egypt, Israel had taskmasters, and now in Canaan, they've become taskmasters. They had become no different than Egypt. Remember, these things were written aforetime for our learning, our reproof, conviction, our rebuke, correction, and for our exhortation, encouragement. Secondly, every man and woman is an idolater by nature. They again did what the Lord charged them not to do. They, this brought about a rebuke from the angel of the Lord. God said, throw down their altars. They should have destroyed their altars when they first came into the land. When they captured them, when they destroyed them in the beginning, you know, they took several cities under the command of Joshua. They should have cast down all their idols then. In doing so, they would have showed their disgust and their hatred for idolatry and their love and commitment to God. But again, they did not do what God commanded. Which brings us to the third thing. Men and women by nature are disobedient. God said, you have not obeyed my voice. That's pretty simple and plain, isn't it? Pretty direct. You have not obeyed my voice. You know, it'd take a whole series of studies to cover all the times that Israel disobeyed God. And before we're too quick to jump on Israel's back, I'm telling you, it would take even more studies to cover all the times that you and I have. The Lord asked a very pertinent question here, the last sentence in verse 2. Why have you done this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I have. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? And it's important to understand that the Lord's not asking this question because He doesn't know the answer. And He's not 
requesting information. He knows everything. This is actually a question of love and mercy and grace. It's like the Lord calling to Adam and saying, Adam, where art thou? He knew where Adam was. I have no doubt in my mind that when He called for Adam, if Adam had came before the Lord and fell on his knees and asked God to forgive him, that God would have. I just don't have any doubt about that. But He didn't, did He? He said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the eat and I ate because of her. Well, what do you have to say, young lady? Well, the serpent beguiled me. It's everybody's fault but ours. Amen or oh me. Why have you done this? It's like the Lord saying to His people through Ezekiel, why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will we die? When we got life right in front of us. This addresses the unbelievable thought of sin to a people who have been so blessed. How much more miserable is a man's sin who has experienced the gift of grace? How could one blatantly disobey God who's been given so much by God's love and mercy and grace? Well, I'm guilty. You know, I never wanted to disappoint my father. I loved that man. And there's no doubt in my mind that he loved me. Uh, He would have died for me. But Chris, there were times I did disappoint him. And I remember one time in particular that I did. He was so upset with me. And the reason he was is because he expected so much more from me. And he said, son, why have you done this? And it still hurts my heart to think about it. I, I know why I did it. Because I wasn't thinking about anybody but myself. <laughs> then in verse 3, we see the results of their disobedience and ours. You know, sin and disobedience, we've said this so many times, it always has consequence. It does. But to a child of God, it falls under the gracious category of chastisement. The Lord chastises. He corrects those that He loves. If we could just see it for what it is. For mercy's sake, they had to be punished for their transgressions. But chastisement from the Lord is gracious punishment. The Lord allowed the Canaanite nations to grow strong so that they grievously oppressed Israel. Verse 3, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. The same God that had said, I've delivered all your enemies into your hand. They're yours for the taking. He, He knocked them off their horses with hailstone from heaven. And yet, well, we're not going to kill you. We're just going to collect some money from you. We're going to keep you around for our own personal gain. And the Lord said, I'm not going to drive them out from before you. They shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And that's exactly what happened. What a warning this is. And here's another one of my mama sayings for you. I heard it all my life. 
You made your bed, now lie in it. That's what the Lord's saying. You made your bed, you lie in it. In other words, you made your decision, so accept its consequences. Israel got what they asked for. It's as if the Lord said, you desired riches, you desired their riches. I'll turn those riches into thorns in your side. If you want to embrace strange gods, go right ahead. I'll make them a trap to you. It's the same as saying, I'll give you what you wanted. I remember some 30 plus years ago when I first, Teresa and I and our family started attending this church. Hard to believe it's been that long ago. 1989. And I heard a man in this church, he was a believer, he's no longer with us. And I'll never forget him praying, Lord, deliver me from my will. And he said, don't give me what I want, Lord. Give me what you want. I've never forgotten that. But sadly, in most cases, most of the time, we don't know what's best for us. But we know the one who does. And we need to learn to pray, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Learning to lean. I listened to that little course today. I found it and listened to it again. I thought, Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to learn to lean on You. Finding more power than I ever dreamed, I'm learning to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. I am learning. I'm just a slow learner. Now look at verse 4. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and sang? Did they lift up their voice and dance? Did they lift? No, they lift up, wept, lifted up their voice and wept. You know, disobedience in the believer always brings about the same result. When our idolatry and our unbelief is exposed to us by the one who truly loves us, just like my dad did me, he pointed something out to me and oh, it broke my heart because I knew I disappointed Him. But when our idolatry and unbelief is exposed to us, the One who loved us and gave Himself for us, the tears will steadily flow. Oh, I've disappointed my God. And why do we... Why do these tears flow? Because we see and understand that there no, was no rhyme or reason for our actions. Sadly, which sadly makes us even makes it even worse. Really, there there was and is no excuse for our rebellion. Teaching us to pray, the Lord Jesus said, "Pray after this manner." He said, "Lord, holy, right, and just is your name. Hallowed be thy name." The Lord's holy. We're not. We've got to be holy in order to be reconciled to Him. He's got to make us holy. Lord, You're always right. You always do what's right. Forgive us our debts, our sins. They're debts. They're debts to a holy God. For we know that our sins and our debts are many and they just keep multiplying. 
Every time the news shows those rapid clicking numbers of our national debt, you ever seen that? Just click, 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 you know, and there's more going up all the time. I think about the sin of this world. If correctly tallied, man's sin would be much more than $32 trillion. Thank God that Christ paid for all our debt. <laughs> Past, present, and future. All of it. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray, Lord, Thy will be done. Not my will, but Thy will be done. Not our sinful will, but Your glorious will. But after all, His will is to do us good. Why wouldn't we pray for His will? Our will does us harm. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, don't even let us be tempted, for we know we'll fail. So, don't even let us be tempted. Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from ourselves, because we are evil. We love darkness rather than light. Why? Because our deeds are evil. Well, brother, I just don't think I'm that bad. Well, I hate to tell you, but you're even, you're worse for not knowing that, that they're bad. Lord, you know what we have need of before we even ask. That was part of that prayer. We're so needy, aren't we? <laughs> Lord, have mercy on us for Christ's sake. Verse 5, And they called the name of that place Bochum, Weepers, what it means, and they sacrifice there unto the Lord. <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a wonderful thought there. How many professing believers experience Gilgal, the blessings of God's provident, providential will, but wind up residing in Bochum, a place of weeping, and we don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. Did you notice here in verse 5 there that they sacrifice in Bochum unto the Lord. The sorrowful weeping of tears can't put away sin. Christ is our only hope of forgiveness. Our sins cannot be undone, but they can be forgiven. They can be put away. We can't, we can't undo them, but God can. Verse 5 says Israel sacrificed unto the Lord. And there's a great lesson here. The forgiveness, the atonement of sin can only be found in the great sacrifice of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We sacrifice unto the Lord. What do we sacrifice? The Lord. We offer Him up as our sacrifice. That perfect sacrifice. The only sacrifice that God will accept. He puts away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That is the Gospel. Christ doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Shelley, we like that, that definition, don't we? We can't do what God requires. Christ did it for us. That's substitution. And that's my only hope of being saved. Now in closing, I want you to look at verses 6-10. through 10, And here we see the differences between Gilgal and Bochum. The difference between joy and weeping. 
The difference between blessing and cursing. The difference between comfort and pain. Verse 6, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that He did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnathiers and in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gosh or Gash. Verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. You see, when Joshua was alive, uh, Israel was kept in remembrance of all the great things that God had done for them. Don't you just know that in the camp of Israel as they sat around the fire at night that that's what they talked about? Well, I still remember us being in Egypt and God sent those plagues and God sent flies and God did this and God did that and He did it for us. But when Joshua died and the elders, they continued conversing the glorious preaching of what God had done and pretty soon they died off and there arose another generation. And verse 10 says that they knew not the Lord nor the works He had done for Israel. And this shows the importance, the crucial importance of teaching our children in this younger generation. When they left Gilgal to Bochum, other gods idols, the idols of of these Canaanite nations entered into their world. How did this happen? It happened because, first of all, Israel, for the love of money, the root of all evil, kept these heathen nations around and they infiltrated the minds of the younger generation. You know, I saw a statistic the other day on the television that, that said just a few years ago, 60 to 65% of folks under the age of 30 years old thought attending church was important. Now, I won't go into all the details of that as far as... I'd say attending some churches is probably not good. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. At least the overall opinion of people at that age was, yes, it's important to go to church. And that number today is down to 30%. Half of what it was just a few short years ago. This world and the prince of this world has infiltrated the minds of this younger generation. And they have no interest in God. They have no interest in Christ. They have no interest in the Gospel. Things are accepted today that in my younger days, which I know is beginning to seem like a long time ago, but they wouldn't be tolerated. This is one of the big reasons why. Nobody has a need for God today. Everybody's doing okay on their own. Everyone's doing quite well. So beloved, let's make it our business to avoid compromise at all costs. Teach our children to strive to make this younger generation aware of the God of this Bible. 
I told you this past Sunday that that all I ever heard about growing up in church was about a God that wanted to, was trying to, loved everybody. Nobody loved Him back. He just wrung His hands and He cried and He wept and said, won't somebody love me back? And I got to the point and said, I ain't worried about that God. He's not going to be able to do anything to me. I'll just make Him change His mind. Lord, let us keep Gilgal fresh in our minds. The wills of providence bring great blessing for those that trust in Christ. Did you hear me? Lord, don't let us compromise our lives in Bochum. It'll only bring about sorrowful weeping. I can assure you of that. 